So this morning, I feel like the Holy Spirit has been developing a theme, and it has been unintentional, but across um, the things that we have been choosing to speak about, or we haven't, you know, gotten together and discussed it, but it's just sort of been happening. And that's always cool when that happens. It's encouraging. So I'm going to riff off a lot of what Jonathan talked about last week, and I already decided to talk about that before he talked. So that's cool. Um, I'm going to focus today on the intimacy that we have with God, that amazing gift of fellowship that we have with him. Some of the things that hinder that and that try to come between us and destroy the intimacy that we have with God, and some ways that we can regain that. And we can take that back. So when um, I first started to hear about this concept of intimacy with God, I was a relatively new Christian. And the word intimacy meant primarily a physical action between two human beings. (laughs) So I was a little like, well, I know that's not what they're talking about. And they must mean something else. But I didn't really have any other conception for that word, what that word meant. So if you're like me, and maybe there are some of you that are like that, I thought it would be helpful to just start with some simple definitions so that we're on the same page and you understand exactly what I mean when I'm talking about intimacy today. So just a basic dictionary.com definition. Intimacy. It's a close, familiar, and usually affectionate or loving personal relationship with another person or group. Just a really basic, straightforward definition. I like this elaboration that Britannica does on it. It brings more depth to this. That intimacy is the state of being intimate, which is marked by the consensual sharing of deeply personal information. Intimates reveal themselves to one another. They care deeply about one another, and they're comfortable in close proximity with one another. Self-disclosure, the sharing of private thoughts, dreams, beliefs, and emotionally meaningful experiences is often viewed as being synonymous with intimacy. So these definitions, they're talking about relationships between human beings, between peers, and God is not our equal as such, like we are. But we can still see some of these things that we do get to have with God, right? Um, He's certainly close to us. He's affectionate. Um, He's personal. And he's available for us to disclose our deepest, most hidden things that we carry around. Things that we might not necessarily show to just anybody. He's there for those. And he also, he reciprocates this. He discloses himself to us. And this personal relationship that we have with him. He does this in the person of Jesus. And he discloses himself to us through the Holy Spirit. Um, Which reminds me of this verse here from John 15. No longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. Because all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So he discloses himself to us. And we disclose ourselves to him. Um, Have you ever had the experience where you are feeling an emotion that you know necessarily isn't your own? Like maybe it doesn't correspond to what you're going through. A good example of this would be 
Like when people experience an outpouring of the joy of the Lord and they laugh, like they have that holy laughter, like that emotion is not coming from them. And often it's in stark contrast to their circumstances or what they might actually be feeling. That's the Lord disclosing himself to us. And that's a precious moment. I've experienced that in my own prayer time, but <laughs> for me, I, it hasn't been like this joyous laughter thing. I've experienced grief. Like when I feel like I'm so deeply grieved that I feel like I'm travailing and feeling the grief of the Lord for something or for someone. He's disclosing himself to me. He's disclosing his heart and his deep things. And those are precious, precious moments. And this awesome intimacy that we have with him. As you can imagine, there are many biblical patterns for this intimacy that we share with God. Where do all biblical patterns start? They start in Genesis. They start in the garden. So let's go there. Some verses that you're all very familiar with, but we've got to start at the beginning. So Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He he created them male and female. God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. So in the beginning... There was perfect intimacy between God and man, between him and his creation. We were the pinnacle of creation made in his image, divine partners in ruling over all the good things that God had made. We had access to eternal life and all the blessings of God were made available to us. He formed them with his own hands. He breathed into him. They had this incredible intimate connection with God. They also, as I was thinking about this, I'm focusing mostly on our intimate connection with God. But as I was reading the story in Genesis, I thought about how these two human beings had perfect intimacy with each other. And that wasn't something I was planning on focusing on, but I'm going to highlight it for just a second. It says in verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. Perfect intimacy between human beings. They were one flesh. They were completely and totally open and exposed to each other. And there was no shame. There was no need to hide. They held nothing back from one another. And that was God's ideal. That was his original intention and what he had planned for us. He had planned for us to dwell in this unity and peace. It's such a different thing to think of that God's ideal is for every person to be safe for you, to disclose yourself to. And that is so different from what we experience in our lives. It's just one of those moments where you comprehend what was lost at the fall. We lost that ability to have that close disclosing intimacy with other human beings as well. So we know what happened. Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So this is where they start to hide from each other. 
They start to hold back. They isolate themselves. They no longer have this close disclosing relationship between human beings. That's impossible now. There's shame has entered this whole equation. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. They hid from each other, and they hide from God. Shame causes them to hide from God. It breeds fear. The shame of the disobedience and the failure makes them afraid. So they take control. They do the fig leaf thing. They hide from each other. They take control, and they hide from God. They don't want God to see that they've disobeyed, that they're imperfect, and that they're exposed. So they do these things. And we talked a lot recently about, again, how these patterns start in Genesis. How it establishes patterns for all of time and humanity. And this is one of them. People have never stopped hiding from God. Shame and fear continually replicate in people to where they take control And they engineer ways to hide from each other and to hide from God because of shame. It feels like a natural inclination to hide or to pretend like we have no imperfections. You don't have to think about doing this as an adult. Even as a child, you know, it's not something we have to work up. It's just a natural inclination that we have to um, when someone's like, hey, how are you doing? It's like instant Oh, I'm fine, brother, full of faith, you know, (laughs) like everything's perfect for me. How about you? Let's focus on you. So that's just something that we are very inclined to do. Anything to cover shame because of the fear of exposure. There's a core lie that dwells inside of shame. This is the core lie. I am so bad that if you saw who I really am, you would reject me. And I know that sounds like so explicit, like you're thinking, I don't walk around believing that. That's not something that plays in my head. But oftentimes, if you dig, if you excavate deep enough, you'll find it buried down in there somewhere, controlling your behavior. That's a really powerful lie. And it can carry right over into our relationships with God if we allow it to. And we'll hide from him. We have to go through this process of learning that we are completely, totally safe with God. That hiding something from him only gives it more power. Jonathan talked about that a lot last week. We hide things from him, which we'll get into later. We can't. (laughs) That's newsflash. You can't hide things from God. But it's so wired into us. It's such a pattern that we try to do it. And it gives those things power as we try to hide. Um, I know Jonathan mentioned this where uh, things the scriptures say, like he talked about the verse, who the sun sets free is free indeed. So this is what the scripture says. And I know Jesus, so I've been set free. I'm free indeed. But what if in this particular season of my life, I don't seem to be experiencing that freedom? Maybe I'm in some sort of particular struggle. So what does that mean? Ooh, like I'm getting kind of shaky. What does that mean for me? Well, I'm just going to deny that. I'm going to hide it and stuff it away and just 
totally be okay because I don't want the shame on me of anyone seeing that maybe I'm not experiencing perfect freedom. And uh, it was interesting to me that he shared that verse because I've had my own experience with that particular verse. I have this, well, I think it's a great idea in my head of a tattoo I've wanted to get for a long time. And it involves that verse, um, free indeed. And there was a time years ago when I first got this idea, I, I thought, wow, I really want to get that. And I stopped and thought about it. And I couldn't go through with it. You know why? Because I just wasn't quite free enough, which was ridiculous. I had been through so much with the Lord at that point. I had been through so much healing and so much growth. And it wasn't that there was not more to do. There's always more to do. But still, like, I just wasn't perfect enough. And if someone saw that and then I wasn't perfect, well, then I'd be ashamed of myself. It's like, how ridiculous is that? You know, I need that to remind me of all that I've been through with the Lord and what he's going to do, the good and amazing things, the way that he's going to continue to set me free. And that's going to manifest more in my life because it's a truth that I'm standing on. I am free and I'm going to see more and more of that. So when we're struggling with negative feelings, when we're struggling with experiences we've had, when we're even struggling with particular sin, it's easy to put on that happy face to find some way to cope, which often turns out to be a total nightmare and make things way worse. And we stuff it down, just stuff down all of those negative feelings. And I came across a meme recently, and every time I see it, it really makes me laugh for different reasons. But I used to read these books. Well, my kids had this book um, when they were little. It's called Busy Town. And it's where all these animals are in this town and they're busy. And they have jobs and maybe somebody's buying watermelons and someone else is driving a school bus. And this particular meme, a cat is squishing garbage. <laughs> Me describing how I handle my feelings. Squish cat squashes the garbage down with a squasher downer. So, <laughs> this is not how we want to handle our feelings, our emotions, our negative experiences, the things that we're ashamed of. We don't, we don't want squished tat, cat to come and squash them down. That never ends up well. Think of the place where you have those hidden things inside of you that you've squished down. Think of them like a landfill. So, I don't know how much you know about landfills. But when they're building a landfill, they line it. They put this lining all along the bottom of it. And the purpose of this is so that whatever chemicals are in the garbage and all the byproducts of decomposition of garbage don't leak out into the environment and poison it all around the landfill. So you can only stuff so much emotional garbage into your landfill before your lining begins to break down. Eventually, the lining breaks down and the toxins of all of the squishing start to leak into the other areas of your life. And the danger with that is that we often don't even perceive that we're having this emotional leakage. We just think that someone else is dumb and made us mad. But in reality, you are just leaking your emotional garbage onto other people because you're being triggered. We can end up here like this rabbit 
Oh no, did it not show up? Darn it. There was a great, another great meme where there's this rabbit and he said, I used to get mad. Now I just get mad on the inside. And another rabbit says to him, I ate one of your carrots. And so he goes, I will burn down everything you own. (laughs) It's like this massive overreaction to something that is so small. And it's because some long buried thing in the emotional landfill that's what's leaking out. It's not that person. It becomes, the more things you stuff in, it becomes more and more difficult to trace what is the source of this thing that's happening on the surface. So that can be a real challenge. I actually recently, just on Facebook, I saw a well-known Christian leader post on there, and he actually sounded surprised. He said, It seems that we have more depressed and anxious Christians than we originally thought. And I was like, no kidding? Really, you don't say. Like, is that new information for you? I'm I'm totally shocked. I think the reason that we do have that is because so much of larger church culture has taught people to hide things. It's taught people to put on that perfect face and keep stuffing all that negative stuff, because that's not the way that you're supposed to be. So something must be wrong with you, and you want to hide that. And it just breeds this problem. So we have to stop stuffing, and depending on what you've been through in your life, you may have to do some excavation in that emotional landfill. You may have to do some digging. I would say you do. We all do. you got to do some digging and get some of that healed up. And the best place to start with that is God. Remember, because we're always safe with him. He is our ultimate uh, place that we can go, the place where we have the deepest intimacy, and he already knows it all anyway. So if we start with him, like Jonathan talked about last week, taking any kind of thought, no matter what it is, no matter how ashamed of it you may be, straight to him. All right, we're just going to take this right to Jesus and see what he says about it. If we can do that, if we could be honest with him, then he can begin, he can give us wisdom as to how we go forward. You know, do I reach out to other people in my life for help with this thing? Maybe I need to see a counselor. But we've got to start with him, and he'll give us wisdom on how to proceed. Intimacy with God is the antidote to this. So Psalm 139 tells us that there is nothing we can hide from God. He He knows us fully and completely. We know this logically. You know that there's nothing you can hide from God. But still, because we are so wired, we will try to hide things from God. Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I stand up. You understand my thoughts from far away. You observe my travels and my rest. You are aware of all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know all about it. You have encircled me. You have placed your hand on me. This wondrous knowledge is beyond me. It is lofty. I am unable to reach it. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I fly on the wings of the dawn and settle down on the western horizon... Even there, your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. 
If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you. The night shines like the day. Darkness and light are alike to you. He knows us fully and he loves us anyway. You can think on that for the rest of your life. It's just incredible to be fully known and fully loved. It's such a gift, and it's the source of life for us. Goodness sakes, we can turn to him in anything. This is David writing this psalm. He had a thing or two worth hiding at different points in his life. He just did. He wasn't perfect. Not everything David did is prescriptive for us. We don't want to just do everything he did, even though he was the man after God's own heart. Even though he had all those things, this is how he ends this whole psalm. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I mean, I I would hope that David had a pretty decent idea of what was in his heart. I don't know. But he ended it this way. And this is where we want to be with God. We want to be fully open. We want to be able to say to him, know my heart, test my concerns. See if there's an offensive way in me and lead me out of it. We need that. And there's this really cool exercise that I have used at different many points in my life. And it's honestly just gotten to be... um, just a reaction that I have. It's like become a natural thing that I do when I'm praying. I learned it in restoring the foundations ministry, which is an inner healing ministry. And it's called pouring out your complaint. And um, what we do is, you know, somebody will come to us for a specific issue or something that they're really struggling with. And at some point during that ministry, we'll ask that person to just verbally tell the Lord how they feel. Or how did that experience affect you? That's a really big deal. What were you feeling in that moment? Not what do you feel right now, but what did you feel when you were six and that happened to you? And a lot of times, it's the first time that person has ever thought about that. Or they've ever really acknowledged what that did to them, that experience. And as they begin to tell the Lord and be honest with him and pour out the way that they feel There's a tremendous amount of freedom that comes from just that exercise. It's amazing to watch another human being do that, to get the privilege to see that. It's really cool. And uh, those that exemplify this activity in the Bible, they're often the ones that have the greatest intimacy with God. The ones that just pour out and that are honest before him. So we really encourage people to verbally acknowledge to God what he already knows how you feel. Not say, everything's fine, God. Like, I'm just going to buckle down and get along. Just, but to just be really honest. So some great examples of this. Uh, Moses does this. He has awesome intimacy with God. Numbers 11. Moses heard the people, family after family, weeping at the entrance of their tents. The Lord was very angry. Moses was also provoked. So Moses asked the Lord, why have you brought such trouble on your servant? Why are you angry with me? And why do you burden me with all these people? 
Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth so you should tell me carry them at your breast as a nursing mother carries a baby to the land that you swore to give their ancestors? Where can I get meat to give all these people? For they are weeping to me. Give us meat to eat. I can't carry all these people by myself. They are too much for me. If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now if I have found favor with you and don't let me see my misery anymore. <laughs> like that is just so straightforward. That's so open, so exposed. Moses is just like, I am so miserable. Kill me now. Like even saying that makes me laugh because it's just like, wow, that's really intense. That's a big thing to share with God. And he almost has like this accusatory tone. He's like, it's like he's frustrated with God, but he's open about it. And um, so what ends up happening is as he relieves himself of this burden he carries, he casts it upon the Lord. The Lord brings a solution. He brings other people to come alongside Moses and help manage the whole group because Moses can't carry it on his own. So I want to do a little caveat here, a qualifier. Not every single thing that people do or say in the Bible is something that we should do or say. Sometimes they're doing it and saying it so that we can see how wrong they are. (laughs) And as the reader, we could be like, oh, I see the pattern that's happening here. This isn't good. Um, The point here is that Moses didn't have to be fake. He didn't have to just buckle down and power through for God to show up for him. He didn't just have to act like everything was okay and just die under the weight of all that he was carrying. The point I want to emphasize is that you pour out your complaint before the Lord so that you don't end up acting on your complaint. Because as you hold all of that in, you begin to live out of it. Your roots begin to drink from it. And you're living out of that complaint. You're living out of that misery. You're acting out of that. And we want to avoid that by being honest about that stuff. And as we're honest, some of that power is diffused when we do that. Just like Jonathan talked about, like I talked about. We bring it to the light, some of that power goes away. David is another awesome example of someone who was really honest before God. Um, And he provides a really great pattern for us to also be honest. In Psalm 142, he says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion and the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. He's honest with God. No matter what the circumstances. You'll see David talking about his enemies. You'll see him talking about himself. Um, All of these different situations that are going on in his life. And there's a unique pattern to the way David pours out his complaint. He'll start by acknowledging the situation. Whatever his circumstances are. But as you continue to read, you'll often see him gradually shift. 
He'll shift from talking about the circumstances, the situation, the problems, all the things that weigh on him and overwhelm him. He'll shift from that into focusing on the faithfulness of God and on God's deliverance, God's love for him. He'll start to focus on God's power instead of his problem. And it's because as he exposes and casts all these cares onto the Lord, he's able to see the truth. He's able to see the reality of the situation in the Lord instead of just the problem, which is what we want to do too. And as I was thinking about this, pouring out your complaint, I was doing it myself. This picture, I kind of got a picture in my head of what this were, what this would look like if you could see it. So picture a room or some kind of space that you're in. You're in this space and, and God's in this space. And it's so crowded. It's also crowded with all your feelings. It's, kind of, it's crowded with all the roles that you play, all the concerns that you have. Um, it's crowded with uh, your failures, whatever it is that you're struggling with in that particular time. All these things are overwhelming and they're pressing in on you. And as you're talking to the Lord about these things, as you're praying, and you're expressing your concerns, and you're exposing yourself to him, you can barely hear yourself because the cacophony is so loud of all of this stuff pressing in on you. But as you keep on, as you begin to one by one be honest with God about these things, they start to fall away one by one. They go away. They go away. They go away. And you emerge out of the noise until it is just you and God. You're the only two in the room now and it's quiet. The other things have gone away. There is such a powerful truth in that. You can see yourself as you truly are. You are a son or a daughter of God. You're redeemed. And you are able to go boldly to your father with any concern, with anything that you have, any struggle you have, any negative emotion that you have, he is your refuge, and you can go to him with that. And one thing that really stuck out to me about seeing this is the emptiness of my own hands. You know, I have nothing in my hands. It's just me and him. My hands are totally empty, which signified to me that I am out of my own solutions. (laughs) I'm out of my own answers for all of those things that crowd in on me. I have nothing to bring I'm just there. But I can also clearly see now who my father is. I can see his faithfulness. I can feel his love. And I can feel his power. And I can see him for the refuge that he is. That place where I can go. A shelter for my life in any storm. And it may sound like it is more discouraging to see more clearly your own weakness. (laughs) And your own inability to answer for all the problems that you're going to encounter in your life. You have no ability to fix a lot of things. But being before God in a state of surrender with those empty hands and a state of dependence on him is always going to be the most powerful place that we can find ourselves. And that place where we acknowledge, like, you are who I turn to. You are. Whatever that looks like and whatever you're going to do, my hope is in you. And that, that's what I have. And that's all I need. And that's the best place I can be. 
And it reminds me of this powerful scripture that I love so much in Revelation 5. It's such a great example for us as we think about surrendering our lives to the Lord. Uh, Revelation 5, 1, I'm just going to read this to you. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's stop right here. Forget that you know what's going to happen next. If you were just a reader, and this is the first time you've read this story, and you stop before John turns and sees what he sees, what are you expecting? What are you expecting when you read the words, don't weep, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the warrior king, is here, and he's going to open the seal. He has triumphed. You would think in that moment that you're going to turn and see this incredible warrior and all of his regalia with his weapons and his shield, and he would appear strong and triumphant and ready to take on anything and full of power. And you move on to verse 6, and this is what John sees. He says, Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. And that's Jesus and his victory. Totally surrendered. A life completely surrendered and trusting in the Father. So don't be ashamed at your empty hands <laughs> or your lack of solutions. You're perfectly positioned in those moments before God to trust in his faithfulness and to see him move mightily. And that is always the truth. It's always the truth. Sometimes it's just difficult for us to see it and to hear it because we're crowded by so much of the noise of our concerns and failures and all that negative stuff. But you are just a child before your good father all the time. You just have to clear out that stuff, be open and honest with him, and he will bring you around so that you can see that truth and you can rest in that truth and rest in him. And he will bring those solutions. That's all for today. Let's pray, okay? Lord, we thank you so much that you are our refuge, that you're our fortress in times of trouble, that we can come and hide under your wings. We thank you that we have the privilege of being close to you, that we've been reconciled back to you, that we can come into the Holy of Holies. We thank you that you have the solutions, that you have the power. When we feel powerless and our hands are empty, that we're perfectly positioned. We just trust you completely. Lord, I pray that you would help us to open up more and more to you. Help us to be honest with you because you already know it all. I pray that as we are honest with you, that the power of all of those things that we try to hide would be diffused, that it would fall away. I pray that as each of us does that, you would give us individual wisdom on how to deal with the things that we are up against, Lord. Lead us to people that are going to be faithful to us, that are going to be safe 
for us. And they're going to help us. They're going to walk alongside us, Lord. Lead us to your solutions, Lord. I just pray for your wisdom in everyone's life here, Lord. And your solutions. And we thank you so much for your faithfulness and all that you're doing and all that you've done, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.